1: The look was that of a predator, and I was the prey.
2: To see a meek looking girl, probably younger than 20, standing on her porch with a blanket and beg.
0: I feel terrible, but the police came to my house. They took my computers away from me. I can't say why, but don't worry. I'll come to Houston soon. Click.
3: Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host Chad, and this is Disturbed. Thanks to Acorn TV for supporting Disturbed. Acorn TV is a subscription streaming service from AMC Networks that offers world-class mysteries, dramas, comedies, and documentaries from Britain and beyond, all commercial free. To try the service out and get your first 30 days free, go to acorn.tv and use promo code Disturbed. Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me for our 50th episode of Disturbed. And that means we've been doing this for nearly a year already. Time certainly flies when you're hearing good true horror. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user Moonlight Moody. And remember, don't open the door to strangers. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford.
2: Let me start this off by letting you know that I was living close to a metropolitan area for a little over a year before moving back to my tiny 10,000 population hometown. And Before that, I was at college and other places, and I didn't interact with anyone from my hometown besides family for many years. Anyway, fast forward to fall of 2020, I moved into a house in the tiny town. One chilly fall night. I decided it was the perfect night to chill and get inebriated off of many glasses of wine. I was relaxing on the couch with my girlfriend when we suddenly heard someone knock on the front door. It was around midnight, so she immediately told me not to answer the door. So I immediately got up to pull up the blinds on the glass portion of the door to see a meek-looking girl, probably younger than twenty, standing on our porch with a blanket and beg. And I was shook by this because in a town like this, in the Midwest, there literally are no homeless people. Or because the town is so small, you usually have a support network when things go sour. So I asked her what was going on, and she said she was homeless and needed a place to stay. And my drunk self thought it was an amazing opportunity to fulfill my need of helping the world by opening my front door to let her stay in the guest bedroom. My girlfriend immediately sat her down and was asking her questions and her answers were pretty vague, thinking back. Eventually, she told us she knocked on every door down the street to find a place to stay because she got in a fight with her mom, so she wasn't homeless. It's also a lot to think that a young girl would do that considering the danger. Eventually, I found out that she went to the same private school that I went to from first to sixth grade, except the college extension of the same campus. We were kind of bonding on shit-talking the campus because it's this new-age bullshit school run by boomers. But then she mentioned that she had a no-contact order for sitting at the same table as someone at the school. My drunk self did not register no-contact to mean restraining order. So we're talking, and then she says that she recognizes me from Facebook. I was alarmed, especially because I've never seen this girl before in my life, and we have an almost 10-year age gap. And She told me it was because I posted a local rental on the Facebook home share. It was for my mom, who was a realtor without Facebook. Okay, that's reasonable. A small town. But then she tells me that she knows my mom. I mean, This is alarming because my mom and I have different last names, and she doesn't have any social media or any way to connect us. Another thing my drunk self registered only the next morning. You know, fast forward to the morning. She says she's going to leave, and I ask her if she wants a ride home because it's cold out. As I drive down the street several miles, I realize she does live on the same street, but she would have also had to pass at least five developments and many rows of houses to get to my house. Was I really the only one to answer the door, or did she target my house? The next day, my girlfriend and I both discussed how odd that was, and how many things didn't add up. Later in the day, we come back home from the store and we see the girl in front of our house again. Now, I'm panicking because I'm horrible with confrontation, and my girlfriend said, you let her into our house, you deal with it. She stays in the car, and I asked the girl what's going on, and she asks again if she can stay with us. I panicked, and I asked her to come out of the car, and my girlfriend told her that she didn't know if she had a gun or who she was, and she could only stay with us if she opened up to us about everything and, and why she's not going home. We sat her down in the kitchen and nicely grilled her, only to get vague answers. To be honest, initially I was concerned it was an abuse situation, but it turns out it wasn't. At this point, she's in her house, and we don't know how to get her out. By a stroke of luck, she says she's leaving to go to the dining hall and will come back later. We quickly taped signs on both the front and back doors that read, Landlord won't allow additional tenants. Has to go back to your mom's. It's later in the evening and dark out at this point, and we hear banging on the front door, and we heard banging on the side door, and then the back door. Finally, it stops. We were upstairs, and we knew it was her, so we just waited it out for an hour. I walked downstairs to check because we were starving, and we wanted to use the kitchen downstairs. I decided to literally take one finger and slide one blind shade up from another to peek through the kitchen glass doors, and she's standing there facing me in the fucking pitch black on my back deck. After an hour, I looked her dead in the eyes and turned around and went upstairs. Time passed and she eventually left, and when I opened the door, we noticed she took the handwritten notes. As the next day rolls by, everybody's mom and cousin is lecturing or laughing at me opening my door to a stranger, which, to be honest, I would never do normally. But the whole thing wasn't sitting well with me, and I needed more information. I posted something on Facebook about it, and a boy I went to elementary school with messaged me asking if it was a certain name, because she had an obsession with him that led to a restraining order. He advised me that she's probably harmless, and not to respond to her. She hasn't come back since, and I still have no clue why she truly showed up or how she knew me. It cost me the purchase of a Ring security system, but it could have been worse.
3: Support the show and get your very own shout-out, ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and more for as little as $3 a month at disturbedpodcast.com slash support. Shout-out to our newest members. Dylan Gardner, Carmen Dooley, Ethan Bennis, Jasmine, Macy Price, Josh Bronner, Jordan MacArthur, Griffin Garnett, Maggie Tidwell, and Leanne Bronner. Next up, we hear from Reddit user KF1746, and we learn why not to trust online chat rooms. Performing this experience is Rhiannon Mauschel.
0: Remember the early days of the web? AOL software upgrades arrived in the mail on a CD-ROM. Family members shouted across the house at one another if an incoming call on the landline interrupted the painstaking ten minutes it took to get from the America Online sign-in screen to hearing You've Got Mail reverberate throughout the room. Recipients of multicolored chain emails, a serial killer camping out in a young girl's shower and killing her guard dog, truly pondered the threat against their luck for the next seven years if they didn't abide by the message's command to forward it on to seven friends. Better not risk it, we told ourselves, as we quickly typed out seven email addresses in the recipient field. And finding everything there was to know about a person online, something anyone can do today with a few keystrokes and a credit card, was a lot harder to do back then. But not for Corey. I was 15 years old. At the time, ambiguous and exotic usernames like Pina Colada 33 or Brunette Baby 87 were all the rage. Naive as we early screen name pioneers were, this anonymity was smart. Social media was in its infancy. Zanga was the go-to haven for teens and tweens to vent their angst while informing the world they were currently listening to screaming infidelities by dashboard confessional. Everyone was friends with Tom on Myspace. AIM didn't exist as a standalone messenger service yet, so it was MSN Messenger or Bust. But if you had a true AOL account like I did, you were set up with all you needed to discover this new, hyper-connected, free-for-all world of the early 2000s worldwide web. Your own email inbox, a new page to create a personal profile, access to chat rooms on just about any topic or hobby you could possibly imagine. It was exhilarating, until it was terrifying. One afternoon, I jumped into one of these chat rooms. ASL, 16, female, Boston. I watched the usual exchange between total strangers scroll across my screen for several minutes, hoping to find my opportunity to finally chime in and introduce myself. Ultimately, I got bored and left the chat without typing a word. An instant message appeared on my screen. You didn't say anything, the message read. Why not? Who is this? I responded, confused by the username I didn't recognize. I'm Corey," he responded. I'm 16, 8th grade in Lake Charles, Louisiana. What about you? 16 and in 8th grade? Yikes. And yet... I was intrigued. So you get held back twice or what, I teased. And so the conversation began. We struck up a brief online friendship that afternoon. He shared a photo, freckled face, brown hair, nothing I'd rate above a five on hot or not. Yet despite the friendliness, I refused to tell him where I was from or anything personal about me beyond my first name and age. I knew little about the dangers of the internet, but I wasn't dumb either. My username was a fruity drink and some numbers, right? Safe enough, I figured. For background, I did have one of those AOL user profiles. Its standard features included a profile picture and a questionnaire to fill out fun facts about yourself. My photo was one of me with several friends with no indication of which one was me whatsoever. A few days later, Corey messaged me out of the blue. You're beautiful. What? Brunettes with green eyes, man, he responded. Somehow, despite my photo containing three other friends, he'd accurately identified me. I would love to see you sometime. I felt my skin prick. I politely told him something to the effect of that not being possible and quickly logged off. Friday the following week, I was sleeping over at my best friend's house. I was logged into my account in the background as we thirstily browsed cute guys on Hot or Not. Who's messaging you, my friend asked. I knew. It was Corey. Hey, you live in Houston. Your parents are James and Sarah Miller, and you live at 1655 South Grand. City names and address obviously changed for the purpose of this story. You know that feeling when you're on a roller coaster during a sharp drop and your heart jumps into your throat? That was that moment. Fortunately, we managed to find that AOL did, in fact, have a block user feature that night. That was it. So long, creepy 16-year-old middle schooler with scarily good online sleuthing skills. It didn't last long. The next day, a screen name similar to Corey's messaged me. He had another account. I quickly blocked it. This happened five more times. I finally went dark for a while. Sure, I missed the thrill of seeing the yellow envelope appear in my virtual mailbox, but it was better than the threat of being harassed by Corey. A few weeks later, I got home from school. My little sister was a baby at the time, 14 years my junior, so she had a nanny who stayed with her during the day while my parents were at work. When I walked through the door of the kitchen, she handed the phone to me. It's for you, she said with a quizzical look on her face. Who is it? I really don't know, some boy with a twang in his voice? Sounds like he's from East Texas or Louisiana. Oh God, hello? I finally muttered into the phone. Hey, pretty thing, it's Corey. Hey, so my friends and I are all into this show, Jackass? We're thinking of making a trip over to Houston and doing some pranks around town next week. How hilarious would it be if I surprised you at your front door? I choked out a nervous laugh. I mumbled an excuse about having a quiz the next day and quickly hung up. For the next few weeks, I slept with a knife under my mattress. I was absolutely terrified I'd wake up to this Lake Charles stranger boy on the balcony outside my window. How did he get my phone number? But just as soon as he'd invaded my sense of security, he seemingly disappeared. No instant messages, no uninvited calls to my home. The knife finally went back to its respective kitchen drawer. Two months passed and it felt gloriously safe until the phone rang the first week of summer break.
1: "'Hi,'
0: the voice said curtly. "'Who is this?' I politely demanded. "'It's me, Corey.' "'Let me be clear. "'This wasn't the same voice I'd heard two months ago. "'That voice was dripping in southern syrup. "'It was young and full of mischief. "'This new voice was different. "'It was cold. "'It lacked any discernible accent. "'It was... older. "'I was speaking to a grown man.' I'm sorry I haven't been able to talk to you, he hurriedly blurted. Why did he sound rushed? I feel terrible, but the police came to my house. They took my computers away from me. I can't say why, but don't worry. I'll come to Houston soon. Click. That was the last day that I used that fruity username. I deleted that account and created a new one. I embarrassingly told my parents I'd made a huge mistake despite having shared nothing that could have easily revealed my personal identity. Even if I had, the threat back then wasn't what it is now. This was nearly 20 years ago. People simply didn't have the online presences that they do today. As a teenager with no social media yet, I was virtually a ghost. But still, I was convinced I was somehow culpable for this stranger, this man, a predator who clearly had advanced knowledge of computers and the Internet singling me out and making it his mission to learn everything about me through whatever means possible. He was determined to get to me. I'm only grateful that even at 15, I knew better than to trust that this freckle-faced kid from an online chat room had fully benign intentions. Two decades later, I still wonder where Corey ended up. Hopefully, behind bars.
3: TV has been a saving grace for many of us. I'm sure by now a lot of you feel like you're all caught up on every single show imaginable. So if you're tired of scrolling through the same movies or shows, and you miss the excitement of weekly releases and brand new binge-fests, then you need to try Acorn TV. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free, British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. You get thousands of hours of new edge of your seat content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. Now, a lot of streaming services can be difficult to navigate and it's hard to find exactly what you're looking for, but Acorn TV makes it easy with their user-friendly layout. And my personal recommendation is Keeping Faith, a BBC thriller where a lawyer has a happy marriage until her husband suddenly disappears. As Faith becomes the prime suspect, her search for the truth leads her to the criminal underbelly of her quiet town. A new season is streaming right now. If you're ready for a streaming service that offers new stories, new characters, and breathtaking sceneries every week, do what I did and get Acorn TV. Disturbed listeners have access to this special offer. To try Acorn TV free for an extended 30 days, go to acorn.tv and use promo code DISTURBED. That's A-C-O-R-N TV
2: Happy
3: Price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello everyone. My name is Matt Neglia and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website Next Best Picture. for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Now back to the show. And finally, our title story is a listener submission by way of email from Amanda Most times, when you're in a public setting with people around, you feel somewhat protected from bad things happening. In this story, we learn that people with bad intentions don't necessarily care how safe you feel. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin.
1: It was a beautiful sunny day in the fall of 2011 when I decided to go shopping. Despite the temperature starting to dip, it was the kind of day when the crisp air perks you up. Overall, it was a perfect day to go shopping at an outdoor outlet mall. At that time, I lived in the outskirts of Chicago where there was a huge outlet mall with about 100 stores. Naturally, I selected it to enjoy the outdoors while engaging in some much needed retail therapy. Shopping by myself was a rare treat in those days because I recently had a baby. I was a stay-at-home mom and I hardly ever got time to myself. That is why I decided to take my husband up on his offer for me to go out and do something alone for a few hours. The mall was very busy that afternoon and I ended up having to park quite a distance away from the sidewalk that fed into the center of the stores. As is typical for many outlet malls, The stores were arranged in a rectangle, with their backs facing the parking lot, and their entrance doors on the inside, opposite from the lots. Within the larger perimeter of stores, there were two smaller rectangles of stores. This detail is important because, despite it sounding like a simple design, the feeling was different once inside. The mall was so large that walking within it felt like navigating a maze. For the first half hour or so, I sauntered from store to store. I found myself enjoying window shopping for a change. It was fun to be in the moment and wander around without an agenda. Ordinarily, I was rushing in and out of stores with my baby. I was always on a mission to shop as quickly and efficiently as possible, because I lived in fear of the dreaded in-store baby meltdown. Being by myself allowed me to feel relaxed and unhurried. Unfortunately, being alone also made me less aware of who was around me. My first purchase was in a shoe store, and I emerged feeling proud because I had snagged a great deal on a man's pair of shoes for my husband. It was that feeling of accomplishment I remember the most, because it stood in stark contrast to the dramatic shift that came over my mood the second I left the store. Instantly after walking out, I noticed a man staring at me. He was standing against the wall opposite from the shoe store. It appeared he was alone. In those days, smartphones were not as ubiquitous, so it was not odd to see someone standing and looking over a crowd instead of down at their phone. I concluded from his stance that he must have been people-watching as he was waiting for someone else to come out of the shoe store. However, what bothered me was the way he held eye contact too long. Way too long. Ordinarily, if you are waiting for someone, you look to see if it's them, and then quickly glance away if it isn't. Not this guy. He stared, and it made me uneasy. His eyes were cold and menacing. I thought... That's weird, and decided to move on down the row of stores to put some distance between us. His creepy stare shook me from my relaxed state of mind. But after walking for a bit, I started to put the incident out of my thoughts. Other than the uncomfortably long stare, there was really nothing else that stood out about him. He was dressed in neutral clothes, jeans and a beige jacket and he had straight brown hair that blended into the rest of his uncolorful appearance he was probably late 20s or early 30s possibly 5 years younger than myself frankly he was utterly forgettable just another face in the crowd which was why I did just that I forgot about him and continued on my way I was determined to find something for myself because I knew my husband would scold me if I only brought back something for him. My focus became only on women's clothing stores. I went to one of my favorite retailers next and spent more than 25 minutes inside. As was my custom, I walked straight to the back of the store where the sale items were hanging. I had my back to the door and didn't notice for several minutes that the man had entered behind me. I had been taking time to gather up multiple pairs of pants to try on in the dressing room. It was when I turned and started scanning for a sales clerk that I noticed him. He was in the far corner by himself, haphazardly moving clothes across a rack, but not looking at them. Instead, he was looking in my direction. I made eye contact and once again, I saw the same intense hostility in his eyes. It was really creepy and I decided to continue to find someone quickly to let me into the dressing room. Because only women were permitted to try on clothes, I made up my mind that I'd take a long time to test out the pants. I did this on purpose. I hoped the obviousness of that man by himself in the store would become apparent to others. I figured that if he stood out like a sore thumb, he would feel awkward enough to leave. My plan worked because he was gone when I emerged from the dressing room relief immediately came crashing over me I was grateful he was nowhere in sight and then I felt a little silly because I figured I was making too much out of a coincidence so what if he happened to come into the same store as me I purchased my items and exited the store through a glass door that swung open to the right rather than immediately turn left and carry on something compelled me to look right even though I did not intend to go that way There he was, the man, leaning up against the wall adjacent to the door. To my horror, he was looking right at me, as if his eyes were a torpedo that had locked on their target. The look was so intense that there was no dismissing it as just weird. The look was that of a predator and I was the prey. Instantly, I knew I was in trouble. In response, I turned left and started walking briskly. My first thought was my purse. I figured he had noticed the expensive purse I had back then. It was one of those designer bags with the logo repeated on the leather. I put the bag across my body instead of wearing it on one shoulder. I sensed he was behind me, so I hoped that he would notice what I was doing and lose interest when he saw that I was not going to be an easy mark. I figured he would realize that I had just made it much harder to grab and run with the bag. After making the adjustment and silently cursing myself for being dumb enough to overspend on a purse that had only put a target on my back, I looked around to see what he was doing. I hoped he would be peeling away from tracking me and looking for a new victim to rob. But no, the opposite was true, and it was terrifying. He was walking at my extremely brisk pace and staring right at me. What was clear was that the bag was not his objective. I was. In an instant, my senses were heightened. I felt an overwhelming urge to flee and get away, so I power walked in the other direction as quickly as I could. My fear was combined with something I didn't expect, disbelief. My mind kept wanting me to deny the reality of what was happening. I've heard it said that people choking on food in restaurants sometimes die because they run to the bathroom in order to avoid embarrassment. I never understood that concept until that day in the outlet mall, when that creepy, cold-eyed man was power walking right behind me. I kept wondering if I was just misinterpreting the situation. I didn't turn and yell at him to scare him off, because I did not want to be embarrassed in front of everyone in that crowded mall if I was wrong. I was surrounded by people who potentially could have helped me back off this menacing man, but I became equally afraid of looking foolish if I was wrong. In response to this inner turmoil, I walked as fast as I could hoping that he would break away. As you might recall, the mall had two smaller rectangular clusters of stores, and I sped around one of them. I knew in my heart that if he followed me all the way around 1, then there was no denying what he was doing, stalking me. After ending all the way back where I started around the stores, I knew for certain I was in trouble. I kept glancing at him with my peripheral vision, trying to gauge his whereabouts. Finally, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I turned my head to look him straight in the eyes. It was as if he was boring a hole into me with his stare. It startled me because not only had he closed the gap between us, he was glaring at me with pure hatred. I had never seen anything like it before. My sense of alarm was at full blast and I needed help. I scanned my surroundings and saw a children's clothing store which I darted into. I hoped that it would stop his pursuit. I walked in went around a circular clothing rack to face the door and see if he walked on. I just needed him to go away. As unbelievable as it seems, he boldly followed and headed right towards me behind the rack. I was stunned and then suddenly jarred by the awareness that I was in a children's store full of mothers and their toddlers. I didn't want to make a scene and scare the kids, so I ran to the sales clerk at the cash register and said in a hushed voice, That man right there has been following me. This statement grabbed the clerk's attention, and we both looked at him. He had stopped at the round clothing rack where I had been a moment earlier and was staring right at us. I looked back at her and saw a recognizable, frightened look flash over her face. It was the same look that I was feeling inside. She had the instantaneous recognition of danger. She looked back at me with eyes reflecting my terror and said nothing. Fear gripped me once more when I saw that she was frozen and was not launching into action on my behalf. She was paralyzed with fear. I think in that moment I wanted this young sales clerk, who was about the same age as the evil-eyed man, to be like a superhero. I wanted her to run and dropkick him, blasting him through the glass window. Her frozen stare and my nervous energy fortunately caught the attention of the other sales clerk who came over to ask what was happening. Now three people were talking and looking at the man who hadn't moved and continued to glare at us. For whatever reason, the lack of action on the part of the sales clerks made my brain jump to solving the problem myself. I said loudly, Call security. At this moment, The man cursed and barreled out of the store. He slammed the glass door so loudly that I thought it would shatter. After several minutes, a very young, very green security guard arrived. He did not exude much confidence. He was hesitant as he stepped outside to see if the menace was still lurking around. And he looked exceptionally relieved when he came back in to report that no one matching the man's description was loitering outside. The security guard said there was nothing more he could do at that point. He turned to leave and the word, no, screamed inside my head. I certainly wasn't going to risk shopping anymore, so I blurted out, please walk me to my car. We walked what felt like an exceptionally long way back across the length of the mall to the parking lot. I remained on high alert. My head swiveled from side to side expecting to see him I became especially worried as the security guard and I started to cross the parking lot. There were a million cars parked by that time. I felt like he could have been hiding between any two of them, ready to ambush. I pictured him explosively jumping out like a jack-in-the-box toy. The young security guard seemed anxious as well. I tried to keep the small talk light, but really... We were both so nervous that we only managed to stammer a few comments about the business of the mall and the nice weather. Only when I reached my car did I allow myself the tiniest bit of relief. As ridiculous as it sounds, I actually looked in my back seat to see if he was hiding on the floor like a bad 1990s suspense thriller. Obviously he was not inside my car, but I still had the nagging fear that he was watching me from afar. I wondered which of the other cars he was inside, as I turned on mine and drove through the lot. I waited at the light, looking in my rearview mirror more than watching to see if it changed to green. A quarter mile later, I merged onto the expressway and scanned all of the cars behind me to see if I was being followed. Since calling security worked at the outlet mall, I had made up my mind to drive straight to the police department if I detected him luckily i did not have to i exited the expressway and no one followed relief flooded me but to this day i know who is around me when i shop and i've mastered the art of side-eye at anyone who follows in my direction for too long
3: Don't forget, we have a voicemail line set up for you to share your true scary stories. Any creepy, scary, or unexplained experience, I want to hear it. Simply leave a voicemail on our hotline at 701-354-3667. In addition to that, you can also email your story to us at disturbedpod20 at gmail.com. If you love our show, consider leaving a five-star rating and review. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And help us grow by sharing the show with a few friends. Musical score by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.